Okay, how are we doing volume-wise and all that? Are we good? Okay, ready? Good morning. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here. I feel you did a really good job on rounding everybody up for a change. Uh, <laughs> you were gone to Australia last time, and for the first time, and then the huge snowstorm the last time. So, wow, there's a lot of people here. I'm amazed. <laughs> So if you don't know me, my name is John Olive, and uh, my family, uh, Penny and my son Prentice, uh, we fellowshiped with y'all a number of years ago. So many of you we know, some of you are uh, still somewhat strangers to us, but hopefully that'll change. Um, so there's, there's two ways to learn. There's experience and wisdom. Anybody know the difference between those two? <laughs> Give me a suggestion. What's the difference between experience and wisdom? Okay, I like that. Uh, the way I like to usually think about it is experience is something we have learned by living through. Wisdom is something that we learn from the experience of others. Which one do you think is easier? <laughs> wisdom, by far. And so you young people, uh, pay particular attention to this because uh, you're going to get to, if you're smart, you'll get to learn from my mistakes. So the, the title of this sermon is The Addictive Nature of Power. And, uh, and we don't often think about power in, an, in, an, in terms of being an addiction, like drugs or alcohol or pornography or something like that. And yet, it very much is. And because it's unseen and unrealized, it affects people in ways that they don't, they're not even conscious of. So about 2001, I was reading, and my Bible at that time was the New American Standard, James 3, 14 through 16. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. But... It says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. So as I was reading that, I, I was... Uh, uh, federal probation officer. I'd been in my position for 10 years. And, uh, and the Lord asked me a question, John, do you know what you bring to work every day? And I thought, you know, I'm really smart. And I'm, so many people look up to me and I've got a lot of intelligence and influence. And what, Lord, what do I bring every day? He said, John, you bring disorder and every evil thing. And I, and I had to admit that that was true because if I read this passage and I understand it correctly, that because I was selfishly ambitious, that every day I was bringing a demonic influence into my work setting. And that was really a tough message to hear. And it's, it's, it's I don't think we often realize that Selfish ambition is demonic. Just that and by itself. That's like this 
American standard of success is look out for number one, make a way in life, you know, get ahead. That by itself is a demonic expression, for that is exactly the nature of our enemy. Um, the, the word in the Greek, erythia, Strong's 2052, uh, means one who works for hire, hireling. By implication, one who is selfish and self-seeking. That was me. But how did that happen? Because that wasn't how I started. When I got into work as a probation officer, my only goal was to help people. And I wasn't aware of how addictive power could be. Um, in my case, probably like many, it was rooted uh, in insecurity. I had been a... Uh, um, I had been bullied when I was a teenager. I was incredibly insecure. Uh, I had a lot of, of psychological uh, problems. And even after I became a Christian at age 19, many of the, of the impacts of that uh, followed me, which I didn't know. And, um, and so as I began to be successful in my career as a probation officer and getting the esteem of the judges and uh, management, um, one, of the, one of the most destructive things that ever happened to me was probably I'd been there a couple of years, and my chief told me, he said, John, as long as you don't make the wrong people angry, uh, I really think you're going to be a chief in this system one day. And I had never thought about that. That wasn't something I was considering. But as I began to think about that, I began to think, you know, if I became chief, it would really, you know, it would, it would send a message to that young, messed up, insecure kid I was in junior high that, that I exceeded everybody's expectations, including mine, and I really made it. And, and that began to sort of drive me. It became an obsession. It became an idol in my heart. And, um, and so as I, as I began to wrestle with these things, um, I did become selfishly ambitious. It was, it was important for me to arrive at that place to where I could prove to myself that I had arrived. And I was seeking something other than the Lord Jesus Christ to fill a void in my heart that I didn't even realize I had. Well, um, fortunately, my lack of uh, emotional immaturity, or lack of emotional maturity, uh, stopped the process. Um, uh, when, you're, when your supervisor gives you a copy of Daniel Goldman's book, um, Emotional Intelligence, you know that's not a good sign. <laughs> Intellectually, some might have considered me a giant. Emotionally, I was a midget. Okay, that was just an emotional midget. That's all it was to it. Uh, God knows how Penny put up with me in those days, but she did. So I'm not the only person who's dealt with things like that. I want to give you a couple examples from Scripture. We're not going to turn there, but I want to talk about Saul, you know, the guy before David who was king of Israel. If you're, if you're really in tune and go back and study 1 Samuel 9 and 10, you'll see something quite interesting. That initially when Samuel approaches Saul about being king, he is, he's like, what? Who, me? 
He says, you know, Benjamin is the smallest tribe in Israel, and my family is like the least significant family in Benjamin. Okay? So he's like, I'm not, I'm not ready for this. And then when, when Samuel goes to anoint him king, Saul is hiding. God has to tell him, oh, he, he's hiding under the equipment over there. Go, go drag him out. So we don't see a man who is, who is uh, seeking power. He's not ambitious. And yet, two years later, we begin to see the corrupting influences of power. And we know what a monster he becomes, how he, he seeks to destroy the man who would replace him over the position that he didn't even want in the first place. How does that happen? Well, because power is addictive. Let's look at his, uh, his successor. Let's look at David. David, who is the man after God's own heart. He is um, totally in love with the Lord. But you give him 15, 20 years, and he becomes a monster. He is willing to to um, get a guy drunk and to lie and to murder to cover up his own sin with Bathsheba so that he can remain in power. So what's going on here? Is this, are these just weak men? That, are these just people that are, are failures? No. It is because we don't understand and appreciate how power affects people. So one of the first major articles, uh, papers written about uh, power in 1959 by two men, John French and Bertram Rabin, identified uh, five types or five aspects of power. That's been expanded in some papers I've seen to like seven or maybe eight different uh, classifications of power. But I'm looking at, at the original paper, and, uh, and he identified five aspects of power. Uh, there's a coercive nature to power, which is the ability to punish, and very much linked to that is the uh, reward, the ability to reward people. Um, legitimate power has to do with a position of authority, like manager, supervisor, um, elder, if in, in the church setting, etc. Um, then there is uh, referent power, which is power that is due to a dynamic, charismatic personality. Uh, and then there's expert power, and that's the one that, that got me in trouble, because I have been, still am, an expert in my field, and I continue to use those powers every day. Um, however, <laughs> I have learned that, that that power is for God's glory, not for mine, okay? And that is where we have to arrive at. Legitimate power or like being in a position of influence carries with it uh, at least coercive and reward power. It very well might uh, also include expert and referent power. So these are like commingled, they're combined and they overlap. Uh, now, one of my, one of my favorite verses, uh, because it speaks to me so, so powerfully, <laughs> if I may say that, is um, 1 Corinthians 8.1, where it, um, in fact, I'm going to read that to you. Um, and, and Saul, who became Paul, that, that Saul, 
he understood this too because he went through the same process. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And verse 2, if, we, if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Knowledge has the inherent tendency of making us prideful because it separates us from other people. Whether that knowledge is in the secular world or whether it's in scriptural knowledge, whatever, it, is, it, it induces us to pride. And the only antidote for that is love because love helps us remain uh, useful to God. Only a motivation of love allows us to exercise power without hurting ourselves or others with it. I'm going to repeat that. Only a motivation of love allows us to exercise power without hurting ourselves or others with it. Now, there have been a number of social scientists in, in the recent decades who have studied uh, the study power and its addictive influences. Um, one of the articles I, I looked at uh, is called The Neurochemistry of Power Has Implications for Political Change. It was published online in uh, a forum called The Conversation in 2014. And it noted that uh, in studies of power, the use and effect of power re releases dopamine and produces an addictive high similar to drug addiction. Uh, dopamine is the, the naturally occurring chemical in our brains which produces sensations of pleasure. Okay? So exercising power uh, gives us a high very similar to using cocaine. All right, let's just get blunt. Um, so we can, if, if this is true, then this begins to shed some light on how, why people behave as they do. As with all addictions, there is a phenomenon known as tolerance. So tolerance is the, is when you exercise, let's say that you're using cocaine and you use a gram a day, and then at some point it no longer gives you the effect that it does. And so you've got to use a gram and a half. And then it, so you're building up um, an ability to use more and more drug because the levels of dopamine are going down in your brain, and so you have to increase it. Great, same thing happens with alcohol, with narcotics, with pornography, uh, and with power. So, um, an amazing study that uh, was done by the University of California in Berkeley in 2015 found that the use of power uh, is very similar on the frontal lobe of the brain as is uh, brain trauma, like, you know, shaken baby syndrome or something, in that um, we, we become less able to feel the pain of others. We become less empathetic as we use power, the, the level of empathy and feeling for others drops. Very scary stuff. In severe cases, power can create sociopaths. These are individuals who completely lack empathy for others. Despots very likely develop from relatively sane individuals this is not a political message today, by the way, <laughs> so um, I'm not going there, uh, who become increasingly sociopathic 
as they experience the intoxicating effects of absolute power. Have you ever heard that phrase that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely? Okay, there's, there's a, it's all about brain chemistry. Okay, so in, the, in, a, in a secular government, the ultimate power trip is ordering the killing of an enemy. Um, in the church, it is excommunicating or shunning a member, and it is addictive. Exercising that kind of power is intoxicating to people. All right, so now let's look at, uh, let's take this information and look in the body of Christ. Let's go to 1 Timothy 3. <clears throat> qualifications of, of overseers or bishops or elders, whatever you want to call them, and deacons. Um, okay, so in, in verse 1 uh, of chapter 3, Paul says, This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. That word for desire there, uh, Strong's 3713, uh, oregami, means to long for and covet. It's a very strong word. I would be highly alarmed if someone came in the church desiring and coveting an eldership. Why? <laughs> well, um, for what, what we've just been studying. Um, and so Paul doesn't say, sign him up. He says, okay, that's just great. Let's look at some of the qualifications he's supposed to have. Uh, things like um, uh, given to good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, okay, gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. In other words, his basic nature is not one of, of seeking what he's going to be receiving. Uh, one who is respected for ruling his own house well, um, not a novice or a young believer, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, those outside the church, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, um, regarding uh, qualifications for deacons, in verse 10, uh, deacons have kind of a similar laundry list. We're not really getting into this in great detail. I'm, I'm being more general. He says, but listen to this. Now, in verse 10, he says, but let these also, also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. We know from context that also is referring to elders. Elders are supposed to be tested before they are put in a position of authority. It's the only context that makes sense for is also right there. Deacons should be tested, yes. Elders should also be tested. Even more so, they're in a position of greater influence in the church. Now, um, this is, uh, I want to cons consider this verse, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, 
as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. Obey. Oh. If you are a man who is seeking power, that just grabs your soul in a way that is, that is terrible for those who are going to be serving you. That is highly intoxicating to many people. They, they long to have power and control over others. And they will be the first in line to become elders. Believe me. They will be auditioning. Okay? Um, Ephesus, the most mature church we see in Scripture, was not free from this. Let's go to Acts 20. Uh, verses 28 through 30. Therefore, take heed. This is Paul talking to uh, the elders at Ephesus before he left them. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. How could that happen? Well, it can happen very subtly through men like myself who begin to experience the intoxicating effects of power, didn't realize the addictive tendencies, and pretty soon were monsters in their own field. Okay? That can happen at work, that can happen in the church, that can happen anywhere, that we are not aware of the addictive nature of this, of this influence over us. Um, Revelation 2.2, let's look at um, another passage regarding Ephesus. Starting in verse 1, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. They were diligent to test those among themselves who were apostles, and yet they still could not stop this destructive influence from creeping in and affecting their church in adverse ways to the point at which Jesus had to rebuke them and say, nevertheless, I have this against you that you've left your first love. They were busy making disciples of themselves and not followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that can happen to any man at any time as soon as he begins to submit to the intoxicating, addictive allure of power. And we're talking about in the church setting here. <clears throat> now, let's look at, uh, let's go back to 1 Timothy for a second and look at chapter 5. <clears throat> Alright, so um, starting in verse 17, he's talking about elders and, and 
uh, I'll just read it. Uh, let, the, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest may also fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Uh, likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. The context is dealing with elders and, uh, and their appointment. And right in the middle of all that, he throws in this little verse about, just drink some wine for your stomach ailments. Oh, and by the way, don't lay hands on anyone too hastily. This is not suddenly, oh, yeah, I forgot. I need to, I need to talk about him drinking water and wine. And, and No, this has all to do with eldership. Timothy is being disciplined by the Lord because he laid hands too hastily on somebody that he did not realize had a corrupt spirit. And after the fact... It's showing up. This man who he's laid hands on is a problem in the church, and Timothy is being disciplined for that. That's why he's having to drink wine, because of his frequent stomach ailments. It has nothing to do with the Lord's ability not to heal him. He's being disciplined, and we will too, if we are engaging in that same error. All right, so um, maybe you've never seen that in context before, but... It's a, little, it's a little more serious when we realize that, oh, this isn't just, just about, should I, should I drink a glass of Chardonnay or not? And it's like, no, it's like quit laying hands on people too hastily. That's your problem. All right, so, um, so who wants to be an elder? Anybody want to raise, be an elder? <laughs> okay, um, the, the period of testing and proving is really crucial here. Uh, I would suggest two years to, be, to become a probation officer in the federal court system. Uh, they have something called probation officer assistant. And you serve for two years, and then at the end of that two years, they can decide to retain you or not. And, uh, and it, it lets you see how people are going to handle power and authority that they have over people. And there's a really good reason for that. I think two years is a great suggestion uh, and, a, and a really good idea to think about in terms of eldership. Um, doing background investigations, checking with the last church they were at, checking with their employers, checking with their friends and neighbors to find out what kind of people they really are. This is a serious matter to appoint someone into authority in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are responsible and we are responsible uh, for the decisions that we make on the Lord's behalf. And I don't think we take this responsibility seriously enough. And we, we pay the price with uh, church splits and all sorts of social problems that occur. It, it's a mess. Um, so remember, knowledge and power tend to puff people up and, they, and that leads to pride. And it's our responsibility to be aware of those tendencies and to guard the church from ourselves and from others. 
Now, there's, there's two ways that we can get into addictive behavior. Okay, let's, let's take an example of a doctor who um, is, is, is going to, he does back surgeries, let's say, and he's got a patient that comes up to him for back surgery. And, and, uh, and the man he knows from prior experience is also a narcotics addict, okay? So he's going to do surgery on him. He, he knows this man's a narcotics addict. He's going to be very, very careful about how much he prescribes. He's going to monitor him carefully and make sure that uh, he doesn't contribute to his addiction if he's a good doctor. But many patients will develop a narcotics addiction unknowingly. Maybe they have no experience with morphine or something like that. And so they go through back surgery and without being aware of it, they suddenly find themselves being addicted. Well, a good doctor is also going to be aware of, of that possibility, and he's going to be really careful to make sure that his patients, whether they, he knows about any addictive tendencies or not, he's going to make sure that they are monitored and they're not getting any more pain medication than they need to deal with their issues because he is aware of the nature of, uh, of addiction. And, uh, and so as, as leaders in the church... Uh, those who are in leadership need to be constantly aware of the addictive nature of power so that they can watch for those who are already in full-blown addiction. It's like, sorry, uh, go, go try the church down the street. <laughs> um, and monitoring those who have absolutely no interest, it seems, in, uh, in, in being... Uh, abusive in their authority, but can easily develop that tendency because power is addictive, okay? And so um, as, we, as we think about these things, uh, it, it, uh, it can be life-changing. And, and for you young people, for you young people, now, darn it, uh, this is something that, that I have had to learn the hard way. I have had to experience the difficulties of having a, a, a power addiction significantly disrupt not only my work life, but my family life. Because I brought all that junk home to my family, too, as I was going through all that. And, and y'all don't have to follow in, that, in, that, uh, in my footsteps. You can realize right now that even if you're an assistant manager at a fast food restaurant, that is a position of influence and some authority. And it can lead to addictive behavior simply in regards to uh, even that level of authority. So be very careful. Watch yourself, watch others around you, and, and, and protect yourself from, from going through this particular snare that, um, that I've had to walk through. Um, this, is, uh, this has been a very difficult message for me to prepare for obvious reasons. It's uh, not exactly flattering to the flesh, uh, but it's, it's incredibly important for us to be able to uh, be a man after God's own heart so that if we are in a position of, of falling into this addiction, we can do like David and repent when given that chance. Instead of being a man like Saul who ignored the warnings and went on to his destruction. Father, thank you for uh, this opportunity to share your word and to share 
the life uh, lessons that uh, you've graciously given me uh, for others' instructions. We pray, Father, that you would guard all of us from the uh, destructive power of, uh, of, of addiction in relationship to authority and power. We ask you to guard our hearts, to keep us motivated by love and, and never seeking uh, our own uh, aggrandizement. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.